Our first reading is the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, and it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word of the Lord. Well, very good morning to you, and uh, Merry Christmas. Time to don the slightly festive Christmas pants. Do you like these? Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I hope you are excited for Christmas, of course, and I hope that uh, your Christmas Day plans are coming into shape, and that on Christmas Day, this is always the hope, isn't it, that you will be surrounded by those you love. Isn't that right? That that's the great hope of Christmas. This Christmas is going to be a little different for me and my family. At the beginning of the year, my mother died. She'd reached a great age, and of course we miss her. But every year, my family would travel back to London where she lived for Christmas. We would go to Grandma's house for Christmas. My children have grown up with that tradition really most of their lives. And as she has passed on, the house in which she lived is being sold. And me and my two uh, brothers... Uh, we all look a little like this. Some middle-aged gentlemen are selling the house. She lived in for 50 years. It's the house that I grew up in. And the thing that I never expected in the passing of my mother, and strangely, quite profoundly in the selling of this house, is that suddenly I feel like a person in the world who doesn't have a home. And I did not expect that at all. Tim Keller, who's a great preacher up in New York, talks about this, what he calls, and many philosophers have called, this sense of alienation as being the common human experience. He said this, we live in a place, the world, that is not really home. We're exiles, We live in a world that does not sustain and support the deepest needs of our hearts. 
and philosophers as varied as Heidegger and Karl Marx. Did somebody say Karl Marx in church? Yes. They point to this as the basic human spiritual condition, alienation. And we don't really have, in the English language, I would suggest, a, a, a word that adequately expresses this feeling that, honestly, most of us don't walk around with all day long. It's not like we all go around going, oh, I feel so alienated, until something happens, and then we realize it. But we don't really have an English word for it. German has a couple of good words, Sehnsucht, thoughts and feelings from facets of life that are unfinished or imperfect, paired off with a yearning for the ideal, or fernweh, longing for far-off places. But I, I came across a good word which I really liked. I'm a great fan of the Lord of the Rings. Do you like the Lord of the Rings? And this is a Welsh word. And Tolkien got a lot of his sort of mysterious language from Welsh. Welsh and it's this word, I don't know, you've got this hiraeth. Can you say that with me? Hiraeth. No, come on. Hiraeth. One more time. Here I am. And in one word, that was great. I loved it. That, in, that, in one word, that word sums up this sense of nostalgia, homesickness, yearning or longing for a place you may never have ever even been, an ancestral home. You might have only ever heard of this place where you will feel truly home in a song. And the thing is that the Old Testament is full of this sense of Hiraeth, this longing for a home which the Scriptures give a name to, the kingdom. And we read this morning from the prophet Isaiah, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. It's as if Israel's common experience was that of exile and walking always with this sense of one day we will come to our true home. And living in that tension becomes the norm. Now, most of us don't really want to live in a place like that. We don't want to live with that sense of tension in our lives, so we stuff ourselves with comfort. But the irony of Christmas which is full of this sense of homecoming, invites us actually to dwell on that sense of longing. That's what Advent is really about. As you heard, it's a penitential season. Sounds kind of gloomy. But it means we're supposed to realize the state of our true condition. However comfortable we are in our lives or uncomfortable, we're supposed to reflect on the state of our true condition our hiraeth. And we're supposed to keep that sense of longing in front of us, not so that we'll feel sorry for ourselves, but so that we will always keep moving on. That sense of hiraeth is supposed to produce movement that we would go, which is why the most common metaphor for the Christian life is not that of a settler, but that of a pilgrim. That great hymn, Pilgrims Through This Barren Land. That is the Christian experience. But as we're going to see in Isaiah 35, the promise is that if we will go holding out this longing for home in front of us, then God will cause life to spring up all around us. 
even in the most barren places, even in our places that our lives really feel like deserts. If we will go, then He will bring life. Shall we pray? And then we'll have a look at this text. So, Father, this morning we are turning our hearts and minds to you. We're bringing ourselves before your word so that we might hear from you through your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Lord, we're giving you freedom to speak to us and say what you need to say. Help us to receive you now in this Advent season as we look forward and we enter into this tension of waiting. Help us now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know, have you ever actually been in a desert? How many people have been in a desert here? There you go. Maybe you have a romantic vision, particularly if you've never been in a desert. You might have a romantic vision of the desert. Can we just have that picture? Is that what you think of as a desert? It's sort of this beautiful place with dunes, a place to go out and be kind of spiritual. I mean, it is. It is. Um, I had uh, a longing when I was younger to go to the desert, and I was traveling to Los Angeles to see a friend, and I was like, oh, well, there's a desert near Los Angeles, isn't there? And I think I'll go and see that. So I, I got a little car, and I drove, or you drive up into the, into the mountains, you drive through sort of um, alpine forests, and then suddenly out in front of you is the Mojave Desert. And it's staggeringly beautiful from a distance. <laughs> So then you drive down into the desert, and the desert really looks more like that. It ain't beautiful. It's not nice. And oh, it is hot. And the great surprise to me was it kind of stinks. I got out of my car, and it's like, what is that smell? It doesn't smell good. I came across, as I was wandering around the desert, trying to be romantic, this lake, and literally all around the edge of the lake were dead fish. Maybe that was the smell, I don't know. Deserts are tough places, yet as human beings, we seem to have a proclivity for creating more deserts. Just come to the end of the UN climate conference, disaster. One of the great problems is human beings are creating deserts everywhere. We are, did you know that? I'm sure you do. The misuse of soil is leading to a massive increase of deserts, places like that all across the world. And yet, as Luke, and I can't pronounce his name, Kanadja, UN's Convention to Combat Desertification, said, the top 20 centimeters of soil, that's about that much, is all that stands between us and extinction. It's not much. We better look after it, right? But the deserts in scriptures are not just realities that have to be navigated. Think of the Exodus story. They serve as metaphors for the human condition. And the desert plays a really fundamental role in the whole story of God, certainly in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. It's into the desert that Abraham moves when God calls him away from his polytheistic, polygamous home to meet the great I Am in the desert. It's in the desert that God speaks to Israel and reveals Torah, words of life. It's into the desert that Jesus is sent, pushed, forced by the Spirit, where he wrestles with the devil over those words that affirm his identity. 
It's the pattern of Exodus. Liberation from captivity, desert, home. And it seems that the invitation to us as pilgrims is that rather than avoiding the deserts, we are called to head right into them. Because it's in the wilderness, away from the comforts of kind of false homes, that we discover and hear and see the glory of God. That's what we were reading about in Isaiah 35, this great poem. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, says Isaiah. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. What's he talking about? Well, the background to this text is uh, the destruction of uh, Israel by the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was about as brutal as you're going to get. They left a trail of destruction behind them. They were into kind of, if you will, desert making in pursuit of world dominion. Before this passage, Isaiah gives a series of judgments or woes on this empire. And the basic message is, look, humankind's efforts by strength and wisdom to organize the world without God will end in collapse, so your strength will be exhausted. But as the people of God turn away from their exile and move, carrying this sense of longing, this hiraeth, towards home, as they go through the desert, life will spring up. We've got the picture of this, uh, that. I don't know how well you can see that. That's in Southern California. And it's the super bloom. Do you know what the super bloom is? March through April, in the most da- barren parts of the desert, suddenly there comes this blooming of flowers. It's surprising. It's look, nothing will ever come out of this kind of soil or this kind of land. And then suddenly you get this bloom of poppies, Lupin and chocolate lilies. And it's staggering because it seemed impossible that anything could possibly bloom in an environment like that. But that's exactly what Isaiah says will happen as his people move into and through the desert. The pilgrim call is not to doubt that that is true. So Isaiah says, Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy who's like, before I jump into the water, I put my toe in to find out what the temperature is like. That's not a stupid thing, is it? To wait until the conditions are right before you move. It's not idiotic, but it's not the pattern of the Scriptures. I remember when I first came into a church, I was part of a church that was very charismatic. So we had these sort of moments where people would be invited up to prophesy and do things like that. You would be in for that this morning? You ready to come up? That's basically what happened. And I remember I was a very young Christian in those days, didn't really know what was going on. I was sitting in my seat and I I had this, I don't know, sort of sense of God was saying, go up and prophesy. And I like, Lord, I don't have anything to say. And I just got this sense, it's like, no, as you go, I'll tell you what to say. So what do you think I did? 
I stayed in my seat. <laughs> of course I did. I didn't do anything. But the Lord redeems. So sometime uh, later, I was used to playing the worship band, and I played bass guitar. And I got, we got to the end of the worship set and you know, putting our instruments down. And I noticed sort of Johnny looking at me, the uh, equivalent of Johnny, looking at me like this. I was like, oh, Lord, I'm supposed to do the prayers. <laughs> and I've totally forgotten. So I walked up to the microphone. And as, my mind, as I walked up, my mind went completely blank. But it was only as I reached the microphone, suddenly I was like, oh, and all these prayers came out. There is a sense that God says, don't wait for the conditions to be right. If I say go, you go, right? Don't wait for it to look like it's not going to be a desert when you get out there, because it might be. But if I say go, you go. The disciples struggle with this. They're often found, aren't they? I love the disciples. They always fill me with um, hope, because really, they're a pretty scruffy lot who get it wrong all the time. And this is right after the resurrection. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, come on. Jesus has just risen from the dead, and he appears to the eleven, Jesus, and they're reclining at table, kind of hanging around. Not sure what to do. And so Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they'd not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go! You've got your marching orders. I spent three years with you talking about this. Now it's happened. Let's go. And he said to them, Go in into, into all the world. And this I didn't notice. I'd never noticed this before until this week. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to people who really need it. No, it doesn't say that. It says, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. What? The gospel is not just for me? The gospel is for the creation? Oh, yes, didn't Paul say the creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God? The whole creation is waiting for this movement of his people into the desert, into the barren places, so that as we go, life will spring up. And that's what you get here in Isaiah 35. As we go, and there's an amazing echo here to what Jesus said in the synagogue. You remember that moment when Jesus is really proclaiming his mission? He stands up in the synagogue, and he unrolls the scroll, and it's Isaiah. And he says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, and here it's similar. As we go, then the eyes of the blind, Isaiah says, shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The gospel does come first to human beings. First it goes to human beings, but then what happens? For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. Now the gospel, through humanity, to the creation. That's a pattern. Are you ready to go? You don't look very ready. It isn't easy to walk into the wilderness. It's not. Deserts are not nice places. They're not. Things die in the desert very quickly. And to walk into the wilderness, to walk into the unknown, is costly, isn't it? I mean, it is costly. The call of the pilgrim is not to an easy life. 
I'm sorry if that's disappointing. But it's costly. And it's amazing to me that wherever in the Scriptures you get this sense of call to go, and it's a costly call to go, it's almost always followed up straight away with a comfort. With the promise that if we will go, two things. God will go with us, and there will be divine protection. Isaiah puts it like this, and a highway shall be there. A highway, a place that is raised up. If you're in the desert, you want to get up because it's cooler, right? And it shall be called the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. Isaiah doesn't explain what he means by the way of holiness. For us, we would probably say, well, that's Jesus' way, isn't it? The way of holiness is the way of Jesus. And if we will go, then there will be divine protection. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. God will go with you, and there will be divine protection. It's echoed in Mark again. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Don't try that at home, kids. However you interpret that, it's a promise that divine protection will go with you if you will go in Jesus' way. But you see, at the foundation of the Christian faith, and I think this is what Advent tries to wake up in us, is this being willing to continually leave familiarity. The things that we have stuffed our lives with to make us feel at home, to avoid this sense that is actually our condition, that we are exiles in this world. We are alienated. This world really doesn't have in it what we need to sustain us. So we're called to leave the false home and move through the desert where we will encounter the great I am and the life of God comes into us and through us to the whole creation. As we move, always keeping this sense of hirayeth in front of us, this longing for our true home. The father of our faith is who? Have you read the Bible? Abraham is the ancestor of all those who have faith in God, says Paul in Romans. And Abraham knew all about moving through the desert. Abraham looked into the abyss of non-being as he contemplated his own body, already as good as dead, Abraham said, and the barrenness, the desert of Sarah's womb. There was nothing for his hope to latch on. But we read in Abraham's story, before he trusts, he goes. He went forth in the presence of God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things which do not exist as he moved into the desert. This bloom. He was willing to leave behind country, culture, family, and go into the desert. The only guarantee that the venture will not make him wither away like an uprooted plant was the word of God, the naked promise of the divine that inserted itself into his life so relentlessly 
and so uncomfortably. Listen, we have to go. That doesn't actually mean you need to sell your house or leave your job. Most of our going is an inner, inner internal journey that we are called into. But Advent is supposed to awaken us to a longing, to our sense of longing for our true home, to our Hiraya. Patterns of rest followed by willingness to leave the familiar. And we can do that with great confidence because of the promise of Advent. And that passage of Isaiah finishes like this. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. That's not maybe, it's shall. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Holding on to the great promise, we don't journey alone. God goes with and protects. As we go into the desert places, the desert places bloom around us. God will do things we cannot imagine, bringing life in ways we do not yet know and will not know unless we go. Shall we pray? Father, This morning we've just thought a little bit about what it means to go and why we might need to carry in ourselves this sense of um, being pilgrims, being willing to leave what is familiar, to walk into the desert places, to preach the gospel to the whole creation. So Father, I pray that as we uh, continue to worship you now, as we come and take communion together, that you would feed us your promises that you will be with us as we go. That we will give, you will give us your protection, your divine protection. So Lord, fill us and sustain us so that we would be willing to go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.